Amen. Let's put our hands together for Jesus. Amen. Can we do that? Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. Amen. Hallelujah. You know an old song we used to sing that said, He poured in the wine and the oil, the kind that restored my soul. He found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho Road when he poured in the wine and the oil. How many are thankful for what Jesus has done in your life? Amen. How many can say, lift your hand to heaven and said that he was a good Samaritan to me? Amen. He was the one that found me. Amen. Nobody else could help me, but he reached down and he helped me and he touched me. And with his blood, come on, we were healed, we were delivered, we were set free. And he gave us, amen, what we didn't deserve. Amen. Hallelujah. Come and lift your hand to heaven and say, God, thank you for giving me what I didn't need, what I didn't deserve, what I couldn't get on my own. You are the good Samaritan, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, today. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. You know, it's so good and so, uh, I think, healthy in a Christian's life to continue just to thank God for saving you. Amen. And uh, sometimes we can kind of get a little crusty on that one. And we just are so busy practicing, you know, and living our lives and practicing principles of the kingdom that we, we ought to go back every once in a while and just thank the Lord for where he's brought us from. You know, sometimes we can say, I may not be where I want to be or should be, but I'm definitely thankful that I'm not where I used to be. Amen? Come on. And sometimes that kind of motivates me, amen, to keep going on and keep uh, forging ahead in life's struggles and life's problems. And, and uh, just the fact that I'm saved is good enough for me. Amen. How many know that if we just, just thank the Lord on that one, we'd be here for hours? Amen. Just on saving us. Just on, on what He did at Calvary. Come on. Amen. Can we just say to the Lord, Lord, thank you for what you did on the cross today. I don't ever want to get crusty about it. I don't ever want to forget about it. I, I want to live it out loud in my life and my praise today. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. Anybody that's joining us online, we just want to say thank you for joining us. Welcome for allowing us to come into your home or wherever you are. Maybe you're listening to us on podcasts. God bless you. And uh, we just pray that God's presence really just touches you today. Here, where we are in the sanctuary, that also in the airwaves, that God really ministers to you, touches you, and it, and it spills out into your family and friends today. And uh, how many are just, real quick, are just uh, praying for somebody because of a sickness? Can I see your hand? Anybody, maybe just somebody on your heart, a family member, a friend? Anyways, but you know, after we read the scripture, we're going to pray, and we'll pray for that. I really feel that we just need to ask the Lord, who is the great physician? Come on, ask the great physician, amen, to do what he does best and touch bodies, amen. How many are thankful that he's a healer? Come on, I mean, he, he's, got, he's the great orthodontist, he's the great chiropractor, he's the great heart surgeon, isn't he, amen. He's got it all, doesn't he? And he, he has the right prescription and he's got the right antidote, he's got the right cure for what we, amen, go through. And so we want to pray for that. Well, we're talking about family matters, I want to read a scripture and introduce today, uh, you know, what we're going to talk about. And we've been talking about family matters, talked the last couple of weeks, or last week especially, about roles in marriage, roles in our lives, gender roles and roles in marriage. And, um, you know, I just really want to just thank the Lord that it's not what we think is important, it's what God says it's important. It's not our opinion about roles in marriage. How many know it's God's Word? that we stand on today. It's not something, a philosophy that we've come up with here at the church or maybe uh, kind of a, just a, something we got out of a book or we're following one of our Christian leaders and 
Whatever he says that we, we believe. How many know we stand on the word of God? Amen. And we can declare the word of God boldly to a world that doesn't know him and they can be free because we stand on the word of God. Aren't you glad that your opinion falls flat, doesn't go anywhere, but God's word is eternal. God's word is spirit, is life. It's got power to it. Come on, you're here today because you believe God's word. And if God did it for you, how many know he can do it for anybody? Is that right? Amen. And so... Uh, just trying to see where you're at today. Amen. I'm sharing a little bit. I said, Brother Matt, you're just kind of like talking. Yes, I am. I want to see where you're at today. See if we're ready for this. But uh, So we're talking about family matters. Let's ter- turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read some scriptures, pray, as I said, and get into it. I don't even know. Honestly, I don't even know if I'm going to finish this today. All that I just feel God's putting in my heart and, and that we need to talk about. I mean, it's just there's so many great resources out there today and so many great speakers and all these great knowledge and revelation that God's shown us about marriage and family. I'm telling you, it's just amazing. But I just wanted to share what I feel God's putting in my heart and about it. In Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to share uh, seven verses, actually. I'm not going to read all of Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we're just going to read, oh, skip around. So if you're turning in your Bible, you'll turn with me, or if you're on your device, you'll click to these verses. Let's start in verse 21, okay, Ephesians 5, 21. It says this, Paul begins to exhort, and he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as unto the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife, and also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, and in verse 28, it says, So husbands ought to love their wives, their own wives, as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. And verse 33, the last one, the verse, last verse, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's talk about family matters today. Lord, we just pray that as we just share today, I'm, I'm asking you that the word, the power of the word takes hold of our heart, Lord, that our, our lives and our, our faith would be built on you and, you and trust you and trust your word today. Because, Lord, you love us, and and your word brings healing and life, and it establishes us. And so today, as we talk about marriage and relationships, Lord, in marriage, I pray that, Lord, there will be a fresh outpouring of your love, a fresh establishing of your principles in our lives, and a refreshing of the reason that we love each other in the first place. Lord, I just pray you would bless the word today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. So we're talking about roles in marriage and family matters. But, you know, living in your role as a married partner really brings a few things. It brings satisfaction. It brings completion. It brings fulfillment. Now, today we have a lot of different types of families and blended families and all kinds of things. But how many know that when we live by God's word, we can have God's best? Amen. We can walk in God's blessing no matter what our situation is. Some people said, man, my family's far from perfect. But how many know God can work in an unperfect family? God can work in your situation, whatever it is. And don't compare yourself to other families. Don't get caught up in saying, well, I never did this, or we don't have that, and, and I'm missing this. So how many know if we live by God's principles, we'll have all that God has for us? Can you say amen? 
And so there's a lot of different things when we talk about families, and sometimes we feel a little like out of uh, the ordinary. You feel like on the outside because maybe we don't have it all together. How many know God loves it when we don't have it all together? Because when we don't have it all together, then He can be all that He can be in our lives. Amen. And He fills in the gaps, and He fills in, amen, all the deficiencies in our lives, and including our marriages. Can't you and say amen? So... I just wanted to say that our roles in marriage from the very beginning, you look at from Genesis and the last, last three weeks we read from Genesis. I'm going to read from Ephesians today. We're actually going to go through these verses that we talked about, that we just read. But really we see this as a husband and wife, as a man and a woman. Together there was a few things that God called them to do together. Before you talk about your roles individually, we have to see what God said in the garden together and uh, also individually. And God called them to walk in intimacy and procreate and raise kids and be in a ministry and, and do all these things together. God called them together. And uh, how many know God's still calling us to be together? He's still wanting that union of marriage to be so strong and so powerful as it was in the very beginning. And so together God is giving us uh, these commandments to walk in. But as he establishes right in the very beginning, we read it in the last couple of weeks, we won't read it today, that God put the man, he created the man first. The Bible says out of the dirt and the dust that man was created. And then out of the side of Adam was Eve created, the woman was created. She was created out of bone. She was created out of a body. She was created out of flesh. And uh, how many know guys were uh, created out of dirt? Adama means soil or dirt, the word for Adam. And how many know, I don't know, maybe that's why as a kid I loved to roll around in the dirt. I don't know. Make mud pies and eat them. I mean, because I came from the dirt. I don't know. But that's what the Bible says. And the Bible says that man was first among the equals. And so man is first among the equals. And woman is first in importance. And I think when we talk about these things today, I, I really want to just kind of put this out first before we get into the roles of marriage and, and our roles as men and women. I think it's important to understand that in the garden, when the curse came on man and the curse came through sin, I believe that the temptation of man was to be passive and the temptation for a woman was to dictate or to dominate. That was what happened. There's a temptation there because of sin. But before that, they were first in equals. The man was first in equals and the woman was first in importance. And they were okay with that. They were good with that. They didn't understand uh, the different struggles that we talk about today. They didn't understand that. All they knew was God's order. How many know we need to get back to God's order? Amen. They understood God's way, God's design, and they were happy with it. They lived content in it, and they were thriving in God's order for the life. It's when we mix worldly, culturally, uh, culture uh, philosophies and worldly philosophies in our lives and our marriages that we get messed up. It's when we begin to, it begins to dilute the power of God's word when we mix in worldly philosophies and all these things. And how many know our struggle in our fallen nature, as we said last week, our struggle is rejecting God's order, come on, and being afraid of God's order. It's a threat to us. You know, when you're in sin, God's order is a threat to you. How many know what I'm talking about? God's authority is, a, is something you shy away from, you rebel against. Our sin nature rebels against God's order and God's authority. But how many know when you are born again, you embrace, amen, God's order. You embrace the things of the Lord. You embrace who you are in God and who He made you to be and who He wants you to be. There's something that you embrace when you're born again. And because of the curse, I believe that the temptation of a man is to be passive. 
And I believe the temptation of a woman is to dominate or to, to be a dominator. But I believe that in God's order, in God's way, when we walk in God's way, we'll be fulfilled, we'll be satisfied, we'll be complete. Amen. And that's just my opinion according to the Word of God. But the role of marriage, really, again, we cannot allow our roles in marriage to become diluted by cultural uh, teachings and bad experiences. How many know some people base their marriage on bad experiences? And it's not good to do that, is it? We've got to base our marriage on what, what it can be on God's Word, not on our bad experiences. Come on, somebody. Amen. Some of you have got some bad experiences. How many know we've got to let that go and we've got to embrace God's way? We've got to embrace God's experience for our marriages. And so we see that worldly philosophy leads to selfish living, not abundant living. And so that's why we avoid it. That's why we turn away from it. And as the Bible says that we, we, we don't conform to that, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind according to God's Word. And so these are things that we have to struggle with. And so as we talk today, again, as we said in the last couple of weeks, how many know we got to keep some things in mind? we got to keep in mind that God is good. God loves marriage. God designed it. Amen? Come on, let's keep that in mind today. That God has your best interest in mind. That God loves you with a passion and, and everlasting love. And His Word comes to heal you, not to torment you or put you in prison. Amen? And so we believe that. And so I believe also that God does not hold us to the stereotypes and the modern definitions in the world of what a man should be and what a woman should be. Amen? Come on, how many know God doesn't hold you to that? Does He? Come on, some of you think that a man needs to drive a truck with three inch or three feet, you know, tires and chew tobacco without spitting and, uh, you know, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, some of you got some crazy things. I mean, you think that, you know, he's got to, whatever, or a woman's got to do this and you've got to live that way. And how many know that we, we don't live by that sometimes? How many know some of us have broken those molds anyways? You know, come on, so we can't live by that anyways. And so... Uh, you know, I think we, we need to live by what God says for us and God's word and God's design. And so I just want to make that clear. And I say that every week because it's just something that we've got to get in our brains and our minds. Because how many know you can get kind of messed up in the world. And when you come to the Lord, how many know he delivers you, but there's a healing that takes place in your mind. Come on, some of you, some of you need to, to realize that God doesn't want you to be the dysfunctional maybe father that you had. God has better things in mind for you. God doesn't want you to be the abusive mother that maybe some of you have. God has better things for you. Can you say amen? Amen. And so we've got to embrace that. And so let's look at verse 21 because in verse 21, if we can't get this, we won't get anything about the roles in marriage. Number, what does verse 21 say? This is the most important. Right here is the key to everything. Submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. Wow. Some of us, maybe you're reading that for the first time. You like to skip right to the husband part. You like to the submission part. How many know the Bible starts out and Paul begins to say, look, and the reason he says it is to emphasize this is the beginning of a good marriage. This is the beginning of a successful role of a husband or a wife is submitting to God first. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or honor the Lord by submitting to one another. Out of reverence for Jesus, be supportive of each other in love. That's what it means. And so how many know that's important? I believe that's important. Now, I'm just going to tell you some things. I'm saying some words that are very foreign to people that almost is considered Christian swear words, and one of them would be submission. 
man, that leaves a, a terrible taste in people's mouths. Amen. And, and rightfully so in some cases. But how many know we have a definition of submission? It's, it's abrasive. It's, it's uh, overbearing. It's dominating. How many know that's not the biblical definition? Submission, and uh, you know, again, some of us are cringing today because I'm using that word, submit. It says to submit to God. See, and, and I looked it up and I, I, I researched it, and here's what submit means. It means to submit. I couldn't find a good meaning. I couldn't find a happy meaning about it. I, I, I'm sorry. I mean, that's honestly, I, I said, Lord, there's got to be a, a bright side to this word. And it doesn't. It means to submit. That's what it means. And the only thing that is connected to it that I could find outside of that word that we don't like of submission is to arrange in an orderly manner. So in other words, it's God's way. It's God's order. Come on, somebody. Amen. That's the way it is. How many love a world that's in order? I love a world that the sun comes up and sets. And Come on, I love a world that's in order. Well, God loves a marriage that's in order. And this is how it happens. And so our roles, um, as I began to read this uh, whole passage here, I, I discovered a few things. And maybe you could write this down. But our roles are out of love for God are this. Our roles out of love for God are three things. Number one, they're supportive. They're demonstrative or they're action or, and they're intentional. So as God begins to teach us His Word through His Word, and Paul begins to teach Him through His Word, we see that our roles out of love for God are supportive, they're demonstrative, they're intentional. But our roles that are done in submission, here's how our roles are done in submission. This is how it works right here. They're to be done lovingly, they're to be done willingly, and they're to be done graciously. And so as you read this, this uh, passage about uh, these roles in marriage and we begin to talk about these things, it's nothing more than a love for God. That's where it starts. A love for God and a love for one another. How many know the two greatest commandments are still love the Lord your God with everything and love other people better than you love yourself? How many know that? Well, guess what? That's not suspended in marriage. That works in marriage and that works in our roles in marriage. And so... Um, I don't profess to be a, a, an expert in, in this kind of field and in, in psychology and all these things, but I do know some things from being married and living life and God's Word. And so I want to share those things to you today. But many people believe this about submission. I want to just say this before I give the roles of a husband. And that is many people, I think, and what I've seen, and it's unfortunate, believe that submission means you're losing your identity, you're being abused, and you're... You're, you're, it's blind obedience, and especially on the part of the woman. I don't know why people believe that. When it comes to submission, we think that we're losing our identity somehow, that we're going to become abused, and that, that somehow it's blind obedience. And again, when it comes to women, we kind of think, well, that's only... When we, when we hear that, it's, oh, man, we're, you know, it's a woman that needs to submit. And, 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 they, and they, we, we just have a tendency... To, to hear stuff that really doesn't mean what it means. Amen. How many know in our culture, in our society, we're famous for using words and we don't even know what they mean? Amen. Come on. It, it reminds me of the one famous movie when the guy said, you keep using that, frame, that phrase, but I don't think you know what that means. I don't think you know what you're saying. And, and that's kind of what it is. You, know? you, you, you keep saying it, but I don't think you understand what you're Meaning when you say that, and I think that's what we're famous for today. We keep using these same phrases over and over, and we don't even know 
what they mean. And so I think this is what, what we see here in God's word when it comes to this particular word in marriage, and that is submission. Let me ask you something. If, if people have that, that idea that, that submission is losing your identity, being abused, and blind obedience, why in the world would Jesus lead us into abuse? Why would God call us into broken relationships? He wouldn't. So guess what? Submission can't mean what we think it means. Come on, somebody. It can't mean by what the stereotypes or the, what we our bad experiences have led us to believe. Because God would never lead us into an abusive relationship, especially with Him. Come on, somebody. He would never lead us into brokenness. In fact, that's the opposite spirit of Jesus. Jesus said, I've come to heal. I've come to preach the gospel to those that are captive. Come on, somebody. And the, and the very definition of the gospel is freedom. And so God would never lead us into abuse or brokenness. And so if your definition of submission is to be dominating or dominate somebody else or to be put under and be in subjection in an abusive way, then you are using the phrase wrong. Your understanding is wrong and you need healed in that area. And so I believe that a lot of people struggle with this and because of maybe bad experiences. But, you know, all these terms that the Bible uses in relate, about relationships, loving, forgiving, submitting, they do not mean that you become a doormat. And they do not mean that you tolerate destructive behavior in others. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. Amen. But it, it's voluntary submission because we love God. That's what it is. It's because we love God. And so we get so threatened by each other. We go so threatened by each other so we don't allow each other to be. We get so threatened about who our wives are, who our husbands are, and who God's called them to be. And so we don't ever allow them to be. But how many know when, when God's word comes into our heart, when we walk according to God's word, God sets us free. Amen. Come on. That we can release other people to be who they can be in God. Amen. And we don't try to change people. Amen. If you married... Somebody just to change them. Amen. Good luck with that marriage. Come on. Now, I mean, no, it's probably not going to work too much. Amen. Because submission comes easier, becomes really easy when really the other partner that you're married to loves the way that they're supposed to love and not by coercion, not by somebody pushing them, not by somebody forcing them into that change or that submission. How many know what I'm talking about? How many know it becomes easy to love somebody who loves God? It really does. It really does. So let's talk about the roles of a husband. Let's get into this, the roles of a husband. In verse 23, the Bible talks about, I'm just going to share a few things just from this passage. There's many other things we could talk about probably. But verse 23 for the husband, the Bible says, is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. It's his body, which is the, he is the Savior of. In 1 Corinthians 11:3, it says, Paul says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is a man, and the head of Christ is God. So this is a principle that is over and over described of in the Bible. I'm not just making this up or preaching from my opinion or the way I see things. How many know in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everywhere be confirmed and established. So we see it a few times. And so, But again, it's our definition that usually we've got to get healed and get straight. But the Bible says he's, the man is head of the wife, the husband is head of the wife. He's in charge of his wife, is what one translation says. He provides leadership for his wife. That's really what it means to be the head of the wife. Now notice the Bible does not say he's the head of the house, but he's head of the wife. He's the head of the, right? Come on, he's the head of the wife. And so 
It doesn't say that. Why is a man the head? And a lot of women will ask themselves that question. Why did you do that, God? I don't understand. Especially after a road trip. Why is he the head of the house? You know, why is he the head of the family? You know why? Because he was created first. That's simply why. When it comes to, you watch Hebrew tradition, God set it up so the eldest, the firstborn, has the inheritance. Doesn't make him superior. Doesn't make him better than everybody. Everybody else is nothing compared to him. No, he just is firstborn. And so Adam was created first. And because he was created first, he's called the head. He's the head of the woman. But how many know he's not just somebody that's unaccountable. Jesus is his head. Come on, somebody. Amen. Right? Yeah. And, 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 and these guys that say that I, I don't submit to anybody. How many know they always have a submission problem? People that say I only answer to God always have a problem not answering to God. I found that the people say that I only listen to God never listen to God. Yeah. I only submit to God. I don't submit to a woman. How many know they don't submit to anybody? Period. Not even Jesus. But what does that mean? He's the head. That means you're the department head. You're the head coach. How many know that you know, everything falls on leadership? Everything rises and falls on leadership. This is a leadership position that Paul begins to describe that God set up. That you are the leader. You are the leader of your family. You're the leader in your marriage. You're the one who sets the tone for the team. You're the coach. If a team is doing bad, do they ever really uh, you know, get on the second and third string guy? No, they go right to the coach. Why? Because he's responsible for the tone of the team. He's responsible for the morale, the momentum, the wins, the losses. It all falls on the coach. Come on, somebody. Amen. All the guys are like, I don't think so. I think so. I think so. You're the head coach. You're the department head. And, and that's what happens. You're, you're the responsible one. You're the head coach. You're the one who answers, has to give in an answer to, to the rest of the team. You can't just say, well, it was the woman that was deceived. How many know God's going to come to you? Just like he came to Adam. He came to Adam because Adam was responsible. Amen. All right. Amen. I don't like that. But anyways, it's good. And so he's in charge of the culture and the morale and the momentum in the marriage and the man. You know, this is, this, see, God is a God of order, isn't he? We already talked about that. You said amen earlier, so you need to say amen again if you believe that. So he understands, God understands that the institution of marriage really could not function properly if it doesn't have a leadership role. It's got to have order. It's got to have clear leadership, right? Come on. Everything flows out of this principle in our society. Because we have more fatherless homes than ever before, more broken marriages than ever before, there's a problem in our society, isn't there? So this lead role right here is directly re related to everything in our society. God set it up that way. He was created first, and God said, you're the one I'm coming to if there's any trouble. You're at the top. You're the one that gets the blame. You're the one that I'm coming to. I don't care what any, anybody else says. I'm coming to you, and so you've got to. And how many know, just like in the garden, you can't hide from responsibility from God. A man can't hide from responsibility from God. He's got a responsibility. You can run to other states. You can go to another country. You can move away from your family, but you'll be held accountable for what you do in your family. Amen. You can't ever run away from this role. You are the leader. You are the one in, in, in charge, but you're not in charge of everything. Uh-oh. That got quiet. Amen. 
Hallelujah. I don't know if I've ever pulled that I'm the head of the house in an argument, but after today, I can't. It's impossible for me to do that ever again. Anyways, and so I believe that there has to be. This is the basic unit in all society. This is, I'm telling you, when, when, when this is out of order, when a man is not a leader in his marriage, when a man is not the head in the marriage, then it falls apart. And, and this is the process that God has. And so look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It says to the woman, after they had eaten of the fruit, it said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And a lot of guys said amen right there. Don't say amen too quickly. Because that word is not an abusive rule. That is not an abusive role. That is a very, that is a very supportive, loving that is a very gentle role that you take. Think about it. A lot of guys just pop their bubble right there. Use that scripture in a lot of arguments. Can't use it anymore because it doesn't mean an abusive way. It doesn't mean that you're the only authority on the face of the earth and that you can listen to anybody and nobody can tell you what to do. How many know that's abusive behavior? Amen. And uh, you can say amen or not. It's true. And so, you know, this is what he means. And, it, and, and again, it, it doesn't say... It doesn't say he's head of the house. It said he's over the wife. He's a head of, of the wife. That's what it says, as Christ is over the church. And I know that this is not an abusive role because Jesus himself is not abusive to the church. Come on, if, if man is head over the wife like Christ is over the church, how many know he doesn't yell, he doesn't beat, he doesn't... He doesn't abandon, he doesn't abuse his position, he doesn't abuse his authority, he doesn't threaten. Is that right? Oh man, I'm really rattling some cages today. Amen. But, but there's, see, this is, this is the trouble. And so really when there's issues and it comes to the top, why? Because he's the head, he's the leader. And when it comes to the direction of the family, he's responsible. When it comes to the culture in your home, guys, you don't sit in the background, you're in the foreground because you're the leader. You, 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 lead, you lead these things. You, you don't just say, well, you know, I'll just let my wife do all this stuff and I'll just work and pay the bills and that's my role. No, you know, you're never supposed to be in the background, guys. You're the leader. You're the leader. That's, that's the way it is. He's the head coach. You're the head coach. And you work with an amazing assistant coach. And so that's not better than others. It's a different role. It's important. But there is, a, there is a, an answer that you have to give to God differently than if you were a wife. It's, it's in this sense, because you're the head. And so men want to sit on the throne of their house when Jesus isn't the throne of their heart. And it's impossible to do that. How many know I'm talking about? You've got to submit to God. So let's talk about the type of leadership. Number one, it's the loving leadership. There's loving leadership. This is what it means to play the role of a husband. It's loving leadership. You are a leader, but you're a loving leader. See, we don't love really by our emotions and desires only, but, but it's out of a deep love and reverence for God. That's where it starts. See, if, if a man is not involved in a loving relationship with God, now, a lot of women will have a different definition of that. How many know I'm talking about? For a guy, we wake up, we talk to God, we have our coffee. God, what's up? What do you want me to do today? On it. We just spend some intimate time with God. A woman's like crying, and God, I worship you, and playing worship me. We're all like, we're, we got it. We're good. Come on, we, we, that, we, we approach different. We worship different maybe. Why? But it's loving. It's loving God with all our heart. And it doesn't matter really if it's one way or the other. You, how many know it's not how you worship, it's why you worship? Come on. 
Amen. I've seen some of you guys, you got different worship styles in this house. Amen. And, and it's not how, it's why, right? So it's, it's, it's why he's leading. He's, he's leading out of a love relationship where God, this is a, a selfless, a, a self-controlled, and a sensitive man. This is who God makes you as a husband. He makes you selfless. He makes you self-controlled, and he makes you to be sensitive to God. Therefore, you can be sensitive to your wife. Amen. So this is a loving leadership. This is an, an abusive leadership. He doesn't have to be uh, talking a very, you know, uh, you know, a tone that, you know, and use all these fancy words. He could come in and just say, I love you, babe. That's good enough. Right? That's loving leadership. Amen. And so we see how he loves and how a husband loves. He loves his family, loves his wife. He shows it. It's loving leadership. Number two, servant leadership. Husband is a leader, and he's a leader in, in this way, in a servant. How many know Jesus gave us the great example when James and John were discussing leadership roles? They were talking about who's the greatest. And how many know they were typical, well, first of all, they were mama's boys. That's what it says. But then they were typical, typical brothers who were trying to outdo each other. I can, I can swim faster than you. I can row a boat faster. I can do that. I can catch more fish in a day than you. James and John were brothers constantly in competition. And their mother kind of enabled that because you see that. She came to Jesus and said, who's going to be the greatest? So they had this argument. And what did Jesus say? Listen, Jesus' response in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 he said, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, the people in the world, exercise the lordship over them. They use their authority in an abusive way. They lord over people. And he said, and their, their great ones, or those under them, ex exercise authority over uh, people under them. And they lord over people. He said, but so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Whoever will be the chief, come on, we're talking about men, where the leaders shall be servant of all. Servant leadership is the example that Jesus gave us. He didn't come as a ruler, a political ruler. He came as a suffering servant. He came to serve, the Bible says. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, I came to serve, minister, and give my life as a ransom. Think of that in the context of a husband. He comes to and he gives himself to his wife. He gives himself to his family. He lays his life down, as the Bible says. We lay our lives down for our wives like Jesus did for us. Come on. Amen. So that's what I mean. Number three, example leadership. He leads by example. He leads by example leadership. This is what I like to call living leadership. It's, it's living every day. It's an example. Not just a one-time deal. It's not a title. Position is something you live out. And guys, let me tell you something. Husbands, you are the key holder in your marriage. You are the key holder. You hold the key in your marriage. And the Bible says, and from the very beginning, a man shall leave his parents. It doesn't say that a woman leaves. and that, It says a man will leave his parents, and then what does he do? He holds fast to a woman. He commits himself to her after he has been released, and that, that's a sign of maturity. You're a key holder. It begins when you begin to leave that which is comfortable and you get out on your own and you become a man and you start doing manly things, making man decisions and husband decisions. You start making decisions for your family. It starts right there even before you're married. How many know we don't wait, need to wait till our kids get married to teach them something? we got to teach them before they're married. Teach them to be faithful before they're married. Teach them to honor women before they're married. Come on, one woman, come on. 
to, to walk in purity and holiness and integrity and honesty, you've got to learn those things. And so this is where it starts. You're the key holder because it's supposed to start in your commitment first. And this is something Paul said that happens when you're not even physically involved with a woman first. You make the process of maturity of leadership before you're married. You start leading before you're married. You don't let your mother lead for you. You don't let others lead for you. Come on, somebody. Is this okay? You lead for yourself because you're going to have to lead a family. You began as early as that. So you're a key holder, guys. The example in your, your life that you, you give. And listen, you don't have to, to, to be you know, so, so, uh, so seen and boisterous about it. You know, I, I love the testimony of so many uh, people, young people over the years. I've heard them talk about their parents and some of the testimonies that really have convicted me, challenged me, and been encouraging to me is the testimony of young people that said, you know, one of the things I remember about my dad is that I wake up and I'd come up in the morning and he'd be reading his Bible. How many know that's a, that's a good example? He's an example of those who apologize, example of who, those who humble themselves, those who work hard, those who take initiative, those who, who start things, those who can end things. Come on. Those who seek peace. He's an example. He's a living example example. You'll never find a good leader until you find a man who's been a good leader in his home. Come on, it doesn't start with being a good leader in the church and then in your home. It starts with being a good leader in your home and then the church. That's what the Bible says. I hope this is okay today. And so he's an example leadership. He's the one who puts in motion the family and the family structure. He puts it into motion. He he, he keeps it going. He he really is being committed to, to the woman that he married and for a whole lifetime. And it's just about his example throughout his whole lifetime. It's who he is in private. It's example of leadership. It's not just the loudest. And come on, many people think that you've got to be the loudest. How many know it's not about being the loudest guy? It's not about being the, having the biggest personality or the most headstrong. It's about being a godly example. Amen. And then a lot of people think you've got to be this big old macho, whatever. Again, it's a stereotype, but God doesn't look at it that way. He says, I just want you to be a godly example. I want you to be a servant leader. I want you to be a loving leader. And then the last thing here, I want you to be a proactive leader. He's got proactive leadership. Now, to say that he's proactive and not, and not passive, how many know it's an oxymoron to, to, moron to say he's not passive? Because you can't be a proactive leader and be passive at the same time. There's just It doesn't make sense. You're a proactive leader. You're, a, you're somebody that, a man who puts in motion the things in his home. You, you lead in the things of faith. You lead in the things of life. You lead in the things of family. Amen. That's what a, a husband does. That's a role. That's what Paul is describing here. Look at all the teachings in the Bible. You lead in the things of faith. You lead in the things of life and the things of family. And so you, you're not... Uh, I hate to say this, but you're not some kind of mannequin in the showroom of family. Well, he's the husband. Don't ignore him. He just eats and sleeps here. You know, he just goes to work and play, pays the bills. And, and uh, you know, some of the women are wondering, who is this other person in my house that eats and sleeps? And, and I don't know who they are. They sit on the couch and come on. Amen. So this is, God hasn't called you to be that. God didn't call you to be a mannequin in the showroom. Uh, he didn't call you to be a regular guest in your house. He didn't call you to be just another kid that your wife has trying to raise. He called you to be 
living leader. He called you to be proactive. He called you to be leading in some of these things. Leading in your faith. Leading in the family and in life. He's called you to lead these things. This is who we're called to be. Can you say amen? You're the leader of the marriage. And so a woman really tends to, to be more sensitive about the things of God. I've noticed that she tends to be, and I'll explain that when we talk about the roles of, of, of a wife, but she tends to be more sensitive in the things of God. She tends to be more sensitive to, to you know, and, and again, just different things about the Lord. And, you know, I mean, it's just like in worship. You know, she's all in worship. I mean, she's the first one that starts the interpretive dancing and all this other stuff in the church. And the guy's just like, I'm cool. I don't know what you're doing over there, but I'm cool. I got my thing going on. I, I'm connecting. I'm good. Right? Not all the time, but you understand. And so why does she tend to be? But you know, just because a woman is more sensitive to the things of God doesn't make her the leader. I know a lot of women who are very strong in the things of God. I love uh, women who are strong in the things of God. But that doesn't make them the leader of the marriage. It's the man. Come on, and he may not be the one that prophesies and does this and holds the mic and does all that, but it doesn't matter. He's still the leader in the marriage. He's still the leader. He's a proactive leader. He's a leader that doesn't just sit around and, and watch things happen. He's the one that ha helps create things happening in his family, in his marriage, in his home. And So I, I know that women are aware of what home is. You know that? Women have this thing about they just understand what home is all about, don't they? And a woman really has a keen sense of where the family is going. She, she knows what's going on. Uh, you know, here I am watching TV and my wife's like, we got to talk about the kids. I'm like, they're good. What's going on? No, there's something going on. we got to talk about it. Come on. And the guys are like, it's five to four, bottom of the ninth. I got what? What's going on with our kids? Can't wait a half an inning. What's going on? Right? She knows what's going on. She, she, she is, there's a, something about the, a woman that God's put in, especially a wife, that she, she's just tempted to, to, she knows that. But because she knows what's going on, I believe she's tempted to take the wheel and the husband's tempted to take the back seat. But that's not leadership. That's not the leadership role. We need to work together and come together. And as a leader, you're not a dominator. You're not a doormat. You're a leader. Come on. And so because of that, we work together. When, when your wife knows what's going on, she senses things about the family. She sees the bigger picture a lot of times. She has this keen sense of what the family, what home is all about. We work together in that. She teaches me. I teach her. We learn together. Amen. That's a good time to say amen, by the way. Amen. And I think because of the time. I'm going to do this, this one, and then we'll... I, I can't close on this one. I'll just end right here. On this last point, but on this point, and there's other things we want to talk about. But he is, the man is the leader, and so he's not just a leader, but the second thing is, what we would say is, duh, he's the provider. How many know we all know that God, God's called us to be the provider? Amen. So, we're the, he's, the, he's the provider. Now, let me look at this verse here. Don't get nervous, it's just the worship team. And so, verse 28, which they're a little early on that one, by the way. I've got a lot to cover. And so verse 28 says this, uh, in the same way, right? So he's talking about the wives. Then he said, in the same way. So again, when we hear, when we hear these scriptures, we say, ah, so the Lord's talking to the wives. You need to listen up. Mm -hmm. No, he says in the same way. In other words, you need to listen too. So I'm talking to you both. You ever get in trouble with your brother or sister? And your parents, you know, they start talking to your brother. And you're like, yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, I told him that. And they're like, no, I'm talking to you too. And you're like, oh. 
Well, that's what God says. And Paul says, he said, no, I'm talking to both of you. I'm talking to both of you. And so he says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who love his, he who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Or in the King James it says that he nourishes his body and he cherishes his body. These two words are so important. He nourishes it and cherishes his body. The first one I'm going to concentrate on is nourishing. Nourishing means to provide. You are a provider. You nourish your wife. You nourish the family. You provide. A lot of us say, yeah, I got that. I go to work. I pay the bills. Got it. I pay for her wardrobe. I understand. No, that's not. There's more than that. So notice it, it says it, that uh, it, it really says about that we should do this first. We should do these things first before himself. It doesn't say take care of yourself, care for your own body, then think about your wife. He says do it with your wife first. And just like you would your own body, nourish it and cherish it, you need to take care of your wife first in the same way because this is how Jesus is with the church, is what he's saying. Right? Come on, just like Jesus does. How many know he wants us to be like Jesus? Yes, he does. And so it does mean to feed. So to provide or to nourish does mean to feed. It does mean to supply. It does mean to sustain. And, and even that word there comes from like, well, like a nurse, what a nurse would do, or, or someone who's nursing someone. It is nourishing. He says that a husband needs to nourish his wife just like his own body, so to feed it, yes, supply, sustain it. I mean, this is what it means. He serves and he satisfies her needs. That's what he does. And so as a leader, now he's a provider, this is what he does. Many people think really that it stops at working to pay for the bills, to pay for the wardrobes, pay for the kids' schooling, just to get by. How many know it's much more than just that? It is that. And thank God for good workers. Can you lift your hand to heaven and say thank God for a man who works hard and provides for his family? But it's more than that. It describes this in verse, uh, I mean, in, in Ephesians 5. It talks about, when it talks about nourishes, talks about a man who is a giver, not a taker. A man who is a giver, not a taker. A man who can provide for his family is truly a giver. He's not a taker. He does not give with a threat. Like, I'll do this if you do this. I give this part and you have to give this part. But this is what he does. He just simply gives. He's generous. He understands what it means to give, to give of his life, to give of his time, to give of his, come on, his sweat and blood. A man understands what it means to provide for his family, for his wife. And he just, he serves and sustains her, her every need. That's what it means. And all the women said, amen. But it also means this. It means, and I love this. Really, this is really great. To nourish. Nourish. We're going to look at this word first and then we'll close. Nourish. It also means this. You ready for this? It means a trainer and an educator. How many know a husband is the trainer and the educator? The head coach. He's the trainer. What does the Bible say in the book of Proverbs? My son, listen to your father's instruction. What does it also teach us in Deuteronomy? Fathers, teach your children. He doesn't say sit and read the newspaper in the corner while your wife teaches the children. He says, fathers, teach your children. I'm so thankful for men who love and have a heart for other young men who mentor them. Maybe they didn't have a father and they have this heart to mentor them. I'm so thankful for men like that because they see a need for men and kids to be taught. And they're fulfilling a role as a father. How many know you can father other people, can't you, right? 
by teaching them. And you are the teacher. You're the educator. You're the trainer. That's what the Bible says. The word uh, really nurture comes from this. This is what it means to nurture your family. Nurture. Oh, the mother. She's the nurse. No, no, no. No, it means to nurture that a husband nurtures his wife. He is the trainer and educator of the family. He's a provider. And he provides training. You know, some of us, I don't know about you, but I feel like half the time I don't know what's going on in my life and how to do this and how to do that. Amen. How am I going to teach somebody else? Well, you just do it as you go. You teach as you go. You educate as you go. Men who are strong, there's men who are, uh, men who are strong at their work, they're strong at their hobbies, but, the, but they're not passionate about home. They're not passionate about training and educating and working at home. And so I believe that as a leader, a proactive leader and a provider, that you need to be passionate about being an educator. Come on. You say, well, I'm, it was easy for me to educate the kids when they were little. I taught them their ABCs and everything. When they became teenagers, forget it. They taught me everything. They know everything. How many know I said that a couple weeks ago? You really do. You discover that your kids are just amazing talent. They know everything. It's amazing. Um, but you as a father could feel insecure and you could feel like, what am I going to teach them? I can't even relate to them. They listen to music, their fashion. I can't relate to them. I don't know what's going on in the culture. How many know as a father, you may not be able to identify and, and, and identify with anything going on culturally, but you have life experience? Even if you're 20 years older, 15 years older than your kid, you still have life experience. So you have something to say. As a parent, we always reserve a right to have something to say, to teach. Because we, we've, we've been where they have. They haven't been where we were. How many know kids haven't been where parents are? But we've been where they are, haven't we? It was a long time ago, but we were there. Amen. Yes, they were. And so uh, kids always make fun of me about, oh, you actually had to like call somebody on the phone and dial Put your finger in and say hello. And I'm like, really? Yeah, we actually ordered pizzas over the phone. It was interesting. Um, but anyways, as a provider, here's what he provides. The trainer and educator. This is what I, I like to close on. And that he is a spiritual leader. Think about it. This is what the Bible. From the very beginning, you were the spiritual leader. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says, I will therefore that men pray every, men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I mean, no, I know he's talking about guys to, to men because he's talking about fighting without wrath and doubting. How many know he's talking to men, not women? He, later on, he addresses women. The women ought to do this, but he says it to men. He addresses them. You're to be the spiritual leader. You're to pray everywhere. He's addressing, and we say, well, he's addressing the whole church. No, he says men. To the men, he's specifically talking to men. You've got to pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Again, I know he's talking to guys because he says you can't be fighting. And guys seem to always be fighting with somebody. I was when I was a kid, it seemed like. And, and maybe we just don't ever get out of that. I don't know. Rolling in the dirt and fighting. That's what we do. Anyways. All right, that was a joke. And so, okay. So he's talking to men to be the spiritual leader. Can I just ask you, this, think about this. When the devil appeared to Eve in the garden, the Bible says she was alone. Adam wasn't there. What did the devil say? Hath God said... That, and and when, when, what did he say? Hath God said. And what did Eve say? Eve said that God said, right? She repeated what God said. We cannot eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. We can't eat of that. Where did she learn that? Now listen. No, no, no. From Adam. From her husband. 
Why? Because when God gave the command, Eve wasn't in the picture. God said it to Adam. He was responsible to repeat God's word to her. And guess what? He did. So that's how, he, that's how she knew. She knew, I can't eat of the garden because my husband told me that's what God said. Because he's the spiritual leader. Amen. Come on. And so he, he that, I, I just feel that that's necessary to say. Because Adam's the one that repeated it to her. Adam was responsible. And Adam was responsible to be there when the serpent showed up at Eve's side. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. He wasn't in his place. He wasn't where God wanted him to be. He wasn't in his place of being a leader. If he was there, maybe the serpent probably wouldn't even come. I don't know. He, maybe he would have came in a different form. The Bible says he was deceptive. Maybe he would have said something different. But I believe that something would have happened. Maybe, maybe something different would have happened if Adam was there. Amen. Don't get too lost in that. That's just my thought. Amen. A lot of people are like, ooh, that's a new doctrine. I don't want to finish that. No. Amen. And somehow people get aliens out of that. <laughs> right? So he gives spiritual leadership. This is the man. He gives spiritual leadership. I want you to just think about this. He gives spiritual leadership, not just shows spirituality. There's a difference between when a man shows spirituality, that's good, but when he's a spiritual leader, that's different. Now maybe you were raised in a home where your mom, I mean your dad kind of was passive and he wasn't nearly, he kind of just, oh, well you know I love God and everything. Or maybe he wasn't even a Christian at all. Maybe he was just very carnal in his way and he wasn't really dedicated. Oh your mom was passionate, was dedicated. There's nothing wrong with that. But he wasn't fulfilling his role. He had to be a spiritual leader in the home as well. I mean, what I'm talking about, Right? He's the one that should have been that spiritual leader that together him and his wife could be praying and talking about things of God and building together spiritually, right? Because he's a spiritual leader. Amen. Again, this may be hard to, to receive, but that's the truth. And so this is what God says from the very beginning. And, and lastly, so he leads, a man will lead in the things of God. This is what God wants us to do, man. He wants us to lead in the things of Him, the things of God, the things of the kingdom, authentic Christianity, godliness, uh, not being hyper-spiritual. I think so many guys reject this and are afraid of this because they're like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go up there, and I'm not going to hold the mic, I'm not going to dance around, I mean, I'm not going to be prophesying and seeing dreams. That's not me. I'm, hey, nobody said that had to be you. You just got to be a spiritual leader. You don't have to be the loudest. You don't have to have the biggest personality. You don't have to, when we get up in the morning, we're going to wash our hands. Listen, you don't have to do any of that stuff. Don't worry about that. Be who God's called you to be. Be the spiritual leader. Listen, when it comes time for supper, listen, you get everybody together. We're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to bless our food. We're going to acknowledge people. We're going to honor people. We're going to be, spend time together as a family because I'm the spiritual leader here and I'm going to lead this family and our marriage in love. I'm going to nourish this thing because I care and I'm submitted to God. I love my wife. I love my family and therefore I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to be the spiritual leader God wants me to be. I don't have to be hyper spiritual. And I, you know, there's a lot of guys told me, I just don't like fake. I don't like, I don't like that religion. I don't like it either. God doesn't like it. God hates religion. Come on, somebody. 
He loves relationship and he loves men who just live and be who they are in God. If you hold a mic, if you're loud, you got a big personality, so be it. If you don't, so be it. You still are called to be a spiritual leader. And this word nurture, where we get this word nurture, a lot of times I thought, well, that's, uh, that's a woman, she's a nurturer. But the Bible says a man is too. Husband is too. He nurtures his wife. He nurtures his wife. Where, where does a woman really get her, her passion for the family? Where should she get her, really her, her desire and her faith and her, for the family and, and her instruction and, and for the kids and really to build a home? Where does she get all that? She gets it from the husband. She gets it from the spiritual leader. He encourages her. He's the one that he, he kind of, his life is a te- just teaches her. His example teaches her. She just sees it in him. She sees him being a spiritual leader. That when there's problems, that he, he doesn't know all the answers, but he knows where the answer is. Come on, somebody. Amen. When there's trouble, he doesn't have, maybe he doesn't have all the, uh, he doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't, and he certainly doesn't know the direction, right? Come on. All the women said yes. But he knows where the source is. He knows his source. He may not have all the scriptures memorized, but he knows where the word of God is and what the power of the word of God is. He knows where life comes from. He knows his source. He says, like Paul, I know in whom I believe. I know in my Redeemer lives. That is a spiritual leader. Amen. And he nurtures his wife. He nurtures his family. And so let me just ask you this in closing. Man, as we talk about the role of a husband, we can say so much more. The time escapes us. We'll talk about the second half of this. Lord willing, next week we want to get to it. And that is this. What was your wife like when you first got married? That's a good question, isn't it? How is she now? Is she better? Is she worse? Some guys would be like, uh, I can't comment on that. Um, Let me ask you another question. Did you cause her to be that way? Let me just say this. If you are Adam, you are Adama, you mean soil, you came from the dirt, you came from soil, and your wife is a flower, how would she be growing right now? Is she blooming? Is your family blooming? Your kids blooming? Because if you're the dirt, how many know they're the garden? And God wants your family and your marriage to blossom. So don't always say, well, it's all there. No, it's me today, Lord. I'm the one today that I want to play the role of a successful husband in marriage. I, I may not get it right and perfect every time, first time, last time, hundredth time, but I'm, I'm doing it. And I want to play that role today. How many can lift your hand to heaven and say, God's got good things for me? Can we stand on our feet today? Amen. Again, this is just such a, a, a lot we could say. and I'm no expert on this completely, but I'm just sharing from my heart. Let me just say this before we move around. and Let me just, let me just pray with for you today. I want to pray for your marriage today. Let me give you a key that, as Paul said and shared this, that I did not say, I did not talk about. In Ephesians chapter 5, I did not read this, but in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, what is the one exhortation he's giving before he talks about marriage? He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is there is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. How many know this thing only works when we're filled with God? How many know we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our marriage? Can't do this. Some of us uh, just don't know how. We don't have the answers. We can't do it. Some of us don't have strength to do it. But how many know the key is be in love with Jesus. Be filled with Him. 
Be filled with His presence. Be filled with His goodness. You may not know all the scriptures, and your wife may know the Bible back and forward. That's good for her. Applaud her for that. Great. But that's okay. Amen. One of the things I know is I love God with all my heart. And I need the Lord. And today we can say as, as husbands, as men, we can say in this room that I want to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want to be filled with my own philosophy, my own ways, my own desires. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want to be overwhelmed by the stereotypes and the bad experiences and all the negative things that are in the world, the culture and, and the philosophy that's in the world. I want to be filled with the Spirit. Because when I'm filled with the Spirit, guess what? Guess where God leads me? He leads me into His truth. He leads me into the role of being a man. He leads me into the role of being a good husband. Come on, somebody. Right? And some, some husbands, I'm afraid to say that they rely on their wife's relationship with God, her experience, and her, her walk with God, and they rely on it too much. How many know you can't do that? You're a spiritual leader. Come on. I'm challenging today. Men love a good challenge. I could, I could tell some guys today, go chop firewood, and they'd love that challenge. Go build a house. They'd love that challenge. Go, go you know, you know, fix the data on some of these computers, do all this stuff, and write programs. They'd love that stuff, right? But today I'm giving you another challenge. I'm telling you, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be the man that God wants you to be in your home and your marriage. And see that our roles that are supportive and demonstrative and intentional, they're to be lived out in a loving, willingly, and gracious way. This can only happen when we're filled with God. It's the only way. It's the only way it can happen. You can try your best, but how many know a marriage has a way of testing everything. And if you're not going to really go in sincerity with God and be filled with God and really love your wife, it's going to show. It's going to show in your marriage. It's going to show in your kids. It's going to show. If you're not serious about really working at your marriage, guess what? You're going to have a marriage that's going to fall apart. That's just the way it is. But how many lift your hand to heaven today, fellas, and say, I want to be filled with God. I'm in love with God today as a man. I'm in love with God, and therefore I submit to Him. I submit to God, and I submit to my wife, and I submit to her strength and who she is in my life and who God placed her there to be. And guess what? I'm the dirt. My family's the garden, and I want them to blossom. I'm not the most demonstrative or loud or biggest personality person, but that's all right. There's still that rich soil that God has in your heart today. Can we pray? Lord, we just thank you for your word today. Thank you so much that you are, to me, Lord, you are a man's man. You, you've shown me how to be a husband, how to be a man, how to be a father, Lord. You are my great example and Lord, today your word is just the instruction on that. How, did, how do I do that? How do I be, Lord, like you want me to be? I receive your word today. Lord, I pray for all the marriages. I pray for that you would strengthen all the marriages. Thank you, Lord, for all the marriages that have been married for over 40 years, 50 years, 30 years. Lord, that is a testimony. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the newlyweds that they're on this venture and this road and getting ready to go down this road and this journey together. Lord, strengthen their heart. Teach them your ways and just let them continue to grow in love and grow in the knowledge of Jesus. I bless all the marriages. I bless all the families today. In the precious name of Jesus, we give you all the praise and all the glory. And we say, Amen.